Good to see you all. As we are going through the book of James, we are learning a great deal about practical Christianity, such as receiving and living out the Word of God, standing firm in trials and temptations, having a true faith that works, operating in godly wisdom, and dealing with conflicts in life, and having right attitude of faith, and being patient and persevering as we live a Christian life. I know there's a lot of things we have covered so far. You can actually go back uh, to our YouTube channel, and you can go through all these uh, teachings on those topics. And here we are, the last chapter uh, of the last part of the last chapter of Book of James. But notice until now that James has been telling individuals how to live by faith that works. But starting in verse 13, as we read today, he's talking about the community now, the church, and our responsibilities to each other within the church. So James kind of shifts from the personal to pastoral. Now he's, he's actually talking about the how to function, how to live and function by faith within the community of, of Christ, the church. And here, James goes straight to the point, right? And he says, this is what you should do as Christians, as you live your life as a Christian, in various situations. Anyone is in trouble? This is what you should do. Anyone is happy? This is what you should do. Anyone is sick? Well, this is what you should do. And he just talks plainly and very straightforward. But did you know, my brothers and sisters, that there is a Christian duty to do something about your moods? I know some people are moody, right? One moment you're happy, one moment you're sad, one moment you're angry, one moment, well, if you actually have the extreme cases, we call it bipolar, right? But did you know that we are supposed to, to know what to do in terms of our moods? as Christians. And we are not to be controlled by moods, but we are to manage our moods as we should know what to do as Christians. I think so often we focus on so much of our feelings and we let them dictate our moods and, and we go out of control sometimes, which results in instability of emotion, which leads to an unhealthy lifestyle. And it's not the, uh, you know, these kind of emotional issues that we have uh, outside of the church. A lot of Christians, we struggle with that. And here, clearly, James is saying, you are supposed to manage the mood, huh? even your feelings, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Christians, by faith. Very practical, isn't it? He goes down to even to that level. Well, verse 13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. The word trouble here means vexed or afflicted or disturbed. Is anyone disturbed? Anyone vexed? Or anyone afflicted? Are you experiencing some troubles in your life? You know what you should do? Pray about it. 
Go to your heavenly Father. Ask Him about it. Are you depressed due to some troubles in your life? Well, pray. As we sang today, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I know that you'd be surprised. Many Christians, even non-Christians, a lot of us in our, uh, in our age, people are struggling with the depression. And depression is caused by basically focusing on yourself, ultimately. It's about your problem, about your feeling. Oh, this is me, and this is me. Pay attention to me. No one is, and I'm depressed. I have problems. I cannot touch. I cannot fix it. But as you are just focusing on your problems, you get depressed. Well, when we pray, prayer actually redirects us to focus on God. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Strangely, all the things around us will strangely dim, and you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, truth shall set you free, even from depression. Amen. 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 Now, verse continuing. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. The word happy means cheerful, being in good spirits. Well, anyone is happy? then you know what you should do. If you're really happy, something good things happen to you, and that moment you're very happy, cheerful, well, sing to the Lord, he says. You know, we pray when we are in trouble, and we are to sing when we are not in trouble. Let me ask you this, which one do you think we mostly neglect in our life? I think... Most of us, including myself, at least we pray when we are in trouble, when we feel moody and when we don't know what to do. And the Bible says you should pray. When you are in trouble, pray. But we neglect to sing praises when we are happy, when we are cheerful, when we are in good moods. What's the first reaction when you get the promotions? Oh, we call our spouse and we call our friends and great. You're supposed to, but do you sing praises to the Lord? Do you acknowledge God and do you really burst in singing? Sing to the Lord in your quiet time with Him. You know, a lot of times we think quiet time is you just read the Bible quietly and you pray on your own. No, you can sing to God. As a matter of fact, He loves to be receiving our songs. Singing to the Lord as you approach Him. Sing to the Lord with the musical instruments. And I think in, in this age, a lot of us, we, we can use and we can play musical instruments. Why not use that? Use whatever you can to worship God. Make some noise to the Lord. You know, uh, nowadays, many people go to concerts. And I've been to some concerts of some uh, artists, not Christian artists, but just, you know, secular artists when I was younger years. And man, it's very exciting. People sing along, people scream, make noises, and they clap and they scream, they, even they faint, and they go all kinds of things just because of merely these very talented men or women on the stage singing. And I'm thinking, when we come to worship God, when we lift up our voices, do we have that kind of excitement and intensity to worship Him? Something to think about. You know why David was so loved by God? 
he's saying constantly to the Lord. Whenever he's happy, he's saying. Even when he was sad, he was singing. Because that's the way that he was worshiping him. Are you happy? The James says. Are you in cheerful mood? In good spirit? Some of the blessings happen to your life? Let them sing songs of praise. Sing to the Lord. Amen. And you don't have to be musically talented. Especially when you are just you and God. You sing to the Lord. You don't have to be perfect pitch. You don't have to be a perfect performing music. You can just sing to the Lord. Yeah, some of us will, will feel that. Now, sickness. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Interesting, right? And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or person is a powerful and effective. Interestingly, James expounds on this point. Is anyone sick? Then you should what? Call upon the elders of your church, your pastors, your leaders to come and pray over you, anoint you with oil. And then he explains that. For next four verses. Please note here, this is a prayer that heals the sick, not the oil. I think a lot, some uh, people actually believed, even I'm talking about in present day, they think the oil has some kind of power that you need to be anointed by oil to be healed. Well, there's nothing magical about the oil here. He said clearly, verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And Lord will raise them up. So make sure you get that. But let us look into this in detail. Because this passage is kind of confusing for some of us. Or possibly. Or a lot of people we think of prayer. And we always go back to this. And historically this passage was always uh, used out of context. And caused some problems. Well, let's go into that. Let me ask you this question. Is healing the sick a normal part of the church life? Or is it not? If it's not, should it be? Because James is saying, basically, in your local church, if you are sick, call upon the elders to pray over you. Well, I'll tell you this. Every Christian I know, they believe that, every Christian believes that Jesus healed the sick. Amen. All right? It is written clearly in the gospel. It was a part of Jesus' ministry. The healing ministry was a part of his ministry on the earth. And he healed the sick and many people. And there's no questions about it. And also the most Christians believe that the apostles healed the sick and continued Jesus' work. They raised the dead even as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Read the book of Acts. Apostle Peter raised Dorcas guy named Dorcas, from the dead. So there is no argument about this. And if you are Christians, we all believe this. But there is a big argument about were the healing miracles limited to the apostles? When they died, when they died out, did the healing ministry of the church also died out or cease? And the many teaching believe that the miracle of healing belongs to the Apostolic age, 
Only the apostles who were operating in the Holy Spirit were able to do this. But here in James, when you read this passage, what do you see? By the way, the Bible is not just relevant to first century people. Bible is relevant to all ages and all generations. Now, he says, clearly he disagrees with this idea of there is no more healing ministry in the church. He said, this is a job of the elder. This is a ministry of the elder of the local church setting. Interesting, isn't it? It seems James is treating this as a normal part of the local church ministry. And the elders, as such being a channel of blessing or channel of healing, somehow the local church was supposed to operate in this. But in the church history, the first thing that happened is that generally the healing ministry went into decline. Yes, we know the healing happens over the church history, even in the medieval time to even in the Renaissance. We hear all these things, but in the Western church context, surely healing miracles have declined. And right now, many people don't believe, as Christians, the healing ministry of the body of Christ. However, outside of the Western church, if you go around the world, Asia, Africa, you go around the world, you will see that healing ministry continues on. So, one could argue that was, why was it, this happened? Why is the healing ministry declined? One could argue that there was because they got away from the Scripture and their faith actually had changed. Maybe. Church, we have a faith problem. Maybe. Maybe we don't understand the Scripture clearly enough. And how can we clearly operate in faith in the right way? That's why maybe we lost it. Nevertheless, it is a fact that the healing miracles largely ceased to be a normal part of the local church life over the ages, even in our American context. Even in our church, healing ministry is not a normal part of our church ministry. Let's face it. In addition, historically, some churches took this passage out of context and practiced the anointing of oil to those who are dying. Maybe some of you might be familiar with it. The priest shows up and people are dying, and that's when you pour the oil and you kind of bless them so that they can die easily and smoothly and go to the presence of God. Well, James is teaching about the healing of the sick and raising them up, not comforting them while they're dying. But that's what happened. People take the, the passage out of context and apply into the ministerial context. Well, since the 20th century until now, some churches or denominations are trying to bring healing ministry back. And there are healing evangelists today going around the world evangelizing at the same time, healing the sick. And I think, but sadly, though some are genuine, and I've been witnessing that, and a couple of my colleagues outside of the U.S., they're actually in the healing ministry. They pray, and the healing actually happens. And they're genuine, I believe, by faith. 
and God using them to really healing even physical needs for some people. It happens clearly. But I'll tell you, many are also fake, unfortunately. And that's the reality of the church 21st century today. That's why it's more confusing for all of us. How do we take this passage? How do we understand? So a lot of times people take out some of the components and trying to understand. All the churches today, let me give you an example. We believe that we should pray for the sick. Everybody, right? But it usually stops there. Praying for the sick is quite different from healing the sick. But if someone is sick, we always say, oh, let's pray for them. And everybody prays for them. And we should pray for them, by the way. But we stop there. We don't expect them to be really healed. Right? Most churches finish their intercessory section of the worship by praying for the sick members, and they stop there, and that's it. Is this what this passage is talking about? How can we apply this passage into our current life? Because I truly believe the Scripture is same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. That's the Word of God. How do we understand this? What is the truth of it all? I believe the Scripture and the James 5 is very crucial. So please listen very carefully with me. And somehow I pray that the Holy Spirit will teach you to apply this in the right way by, so that we can live by faith. If any one of you is sick, James said, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. James says, let them pray to get prayed over. Let the church pray. Church leaders, elders pray for them. It seems James is pretty confident about this, right? By the way, it's not the elders who has a power to heal the people. Of course not. It's Jesus because they say, in the name of Jesus, when you pray, and when the elders get together and pray and anoint them with oil, they will be healed. And I know some elders tried this previously. <laughs> it failed. It can happen too, right? Because we are not Jesus. We are not God. Okay, with that in mind, let's get into this. This is the third time, if you remember, James is actually mentioning prayer in this letter. Every time he has given us the reasons, every time he talks about the prayer, he has given us a reason why prayer does not work. Obviously, not getting the right answer from God was not only first century church problem, it's also 21st century problem. Right? That's why James, when he's focusing on the practical Christianity, he actually talks about this all over. Remember chapter 1? He said, prayer will not work if you pray without. If you wonder whether it will happen or not, you know what? Don't pray. If you don't believe it, don't pray. You won't work. The man who is doubting is like a wave of the sea being tossed, by, tossed, to, tossed, by, tossed around. Also, James said, the reason why your prayer are not being answered is you are praying with the wrong motive. You are praying for your own pleasure. Lord, please, give that woman to me as a, my wife. Lord, please, give me that Lamborghini. I really need it. You're praying for your own pleasure, your own safety, your own comfort, and the kind of prayer does not work, meaning you cannot treat God as a genie in a bottle. 
But that's what we think, right? God is Heavenly Father, but He is like genie. And when you wish, your wish will come true. He is not your genie. He's your Father. Does your Father give whatever that you want? As a father, I would like to give whatever they want. I don't think so. I would like to give the things that they need, what's best for them. I don't want to give just whatever my children want. Right? No wonder James mentions that. He's your heavenly father. Do you think that he would just give you whatever that you want? God is not interested in feeling your, need, feeling your desires. He's interested in giving you what's best for you. Now, here he's here saying about a prayer for the sick. The elders should not only anoint, but they should also intercede and pray for the person. And it is a prayer that is going to do the work when you pray by faith, right? And there are two assumptions in this context that you need to understand, okay? He assumed that the sick person is a faithful member of the local fellowship. It's not just someone else. Oh, my cousin is sick. Please, can you just do something for me? It's not, it doesn't work that way. The context here is clear. This is a fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who has been very active in the fellowship of the church, who has been very faithful, but now he's in trouble. It's not a just churchgoer. You show up once in a while. He's talking about full member who got sick. Okay, that's the context. That's the assumption. Second is, there are recognized elders, meaning mature men, who see healing the sick as a part of their elder's duty. Just because you have a title and position as an elder of the church does not mean that you have some kind of power so that you can pray and then things can happen. No. These are the elders who are so mature and who are actually practicing the healing ministry as they are part of their ministry. That's the assumption. You need to know that. So just because you are elder of the church, somehow you are elected and voted, and then you become an elder, and because of your position, all of a sudden you think you have a power and you can just pray for them? No. Even if you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit healing the sick, you have a trouble. So assumption is these elders are really mature, full of faith, operating in the Holy Spirit to do this kind of thing. Right? Those are two assumptions that we must get. Okay? Because I don't want people to think that it's just some kind of automatic thing. Okay? Because there are many elders who don't see that today. Even in our denomination, some elders don't believe in this. Do you think it will work with them? They see, only, they see it only as a leading of the flock or superintending the program. A lot of elders in the church today, they think their job is to just do, do administration. James says that elders are called to a ministry of healing through prayer and anointing of oil. It's a little bit different kind of elders we are talking about today, right? In this text. That's the assumption. Maybe when James sees pastors and leaders in the church today, he might say otherwise. But at least in the first century, Church Elders were mature men who were filled by the Holy Spirit, who took this as a, their ministry. Okay? You might ask, why anointing of oil, right? 
But why? Well, it is a giving, I believe, is a giving, it's, 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 it is giving a physical assurance to the person that the Lord can deal with your physical problems. That's why I think we're using the physical substance. Now, you know, if you put your oil, anoint someone with oil. By the way, it's not anointing, it's just a little, touch, little dab and then you do the dab. No, that's not the pouring of oil. So back in the days, they actually pour very, a lot of amount on, their, on your head. So all your hair was just, just full of oil. Imagine that, all sticky. That's how you anoint person, anoint the person. By the way, when the Old Testament, when kings were anointed by the oil, they weren't just sprinkling, they were pouring the oil down. So whole olive oil, by the way, they were using, it was just all covering your face, going down to oil everywhere. Very messy. But that was a practice. But point that it's, it's the physical assurance that actually God can heal you even physical need and, and physical problems. Do you remember Jesus using spit and with, with the mud and healing the blind man? Why did he do that? He could just say, open your eyes. But he didn't. One time he, he spit on the ground and he mixed it with the mud and put, it, put the mud in, uh, on, on the, the blind man's eyes and he told him, hey, why don't you go and wash your eyes and you'll be healed. Why did he do that? Is it some kind of power in the mud? Some kind of power in his spit? No, of course not. Right? But why? It's a physical assurance. God can touch your physical needs and God can help you with your physical problems. Amen. Do you have a physical problem? Why don't you go to God? You have a financial problem? Come to God. Pray. You know, people try to figure out, by the way, you're supposed to figure out, try to, I understand that you're supposed to manage it. You're right. We do our best. And, but do you even pray? Lord, give me wisdom so that I'll be able to know what to do in terms of my financial problem. Help me to manage it right. I don't know. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Help me to connect with the people who can help me. Did you ever pray? When you get sick, what do you do? First reaction, where's my medicine box? I will call my doctor. But yeah, God can use those. Those are provisions that God has given us. Great. You know, hum, hum, human uh, technology is incredible. The medical technology is, is still growing. By the way, God has given us that power, that ability to do so, the capacity to do so, which is great. But ultimately, do we put our faith on ourselves, our medical technology, or are we really putting our faith in Christ? We need to really think about these things. So that's why when we say Jesus is the answer to your problems, preachers are not lying. What you need to do is you need to come to God and ask Him. A lot of Christians, we don't even pray when we have to think about where, our, where to send our children to schools in terms of their college, in terms of their career. We Google it instead. And so you pray and God asking God for. That's why my children, every time they get sick and they have problems, I always tell them, let's ask God first. Stop. We will, we will try to figure out together, yes, but just wait a minute. Let's ask God for wisdom. That's very important, right? So you kind of understand, oh, I need God. 
You are a student, a lot of things to do. Subjects are hard. Did you ever thinking about praying before you start? Many Christians, don't they don't do that. Just drop everything and say, Lord, I really need you and help me to understand this. You drink all kinds of substance, coffee, and by the way, coffee is good for you. Maybe not. Uh, I drink a lot of coffee. But, but anyway, like you would take, take whatever that we can to stay up. We can study hard, and we're going to get great. Work hard because you will reap what you sow. But do you ever depend on God ultimately? Because ultimately, who gives you the brain capacity to understand these things? Who gives you power to study? Amen. He takes care of even our physical needs. Remember that. Okay? But remember, it's not the oil, but the prayer will heal the sick. It's this physical assurance. This kind of ministry was a normal part of the church ministry in the first century. And James is clearly confirming that. This is what we do, Christians. We control our moods. We manage our, our even in our emotions. We should pray when we are in trouble. We should what? We should sing praises to the Lord every time we are happy and cheerful. When we are sick, this is what we should do. And this is a part of healing, is a part of the ministry that we should experience. Interesting, isn't it? Maybe we have lost it. Our church has lost that. Maybe it's time for us to take our faith into the Scripture and take Scripture seriously and see what happens to our church. So it is a prayer that heals, but there are conditions of prayer, and these applies as much as to the elders as any, anyone. And James kind of gives you three conditions that elders must meet to be effective in that kind of ministry. Look at verse 15. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is a powerful and effective. Again, not my word. Let's look at the scripture. First, what is he talking about? You need to have a confidence in faith. Everyone say confidence. The confidence in faith. They must be sure of their faith. Like sure. I believe it. I know it. Therefore, I act upon it. They must not just try it out and see what happens. Oh, maybe I'll pray and it will work. Oh, please, pastor, pray that who, who knows it will work, but it's better to pray, right? No, 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 no. Do you have a confidence when you ask God? By the way, he might not give you the answer that you wanted, but you need to believe that God will give you the best answer for that situation, for that person, that context. But do we have confidence in faith that God will answer us the best way? God might not even spare someone's life, but do you still believe that might be the best answer? But you still have a confidence, I know that God can answer. He might not give me what I ask for, but he can surely give me what, he, what I need now. We are back to chapter 1 again. No doubting when you pray, then you'll be answered to you. Jesus can really heal people. Believe it. So first thing that you need for this kind of type of ministry is a confidence in faith. Second is a confession of sin. Interesting. Notice the word, 
if, if the man has sinned, he will be forgiven. If. Okay? There is a wholeness here, meaning wholeness of healing. Right? It's not just physical healing he's talking about. He's also, he also wants to heal this spiritual healing, our sin problem. And sin can surely can be a cause of sickness, by the way. Not always, but it can be. People get sick because they are in disobedience sometimes. It is really happening. Okay? Therefore, confession must be a part of this if sin has been part of it. But only if. But if you don't really have a specific problems or any sin amongst brothers and sisters, no, it's, maybe we don't have to do this, but James is saying, make sure you know. The confession, however, must be mutual. Isn't that interesting? The elders confessing to one another and confessing to the sick person and the sick person confessing to the elders. It's not just one way, right? It's not just you are doing the confession to the priest and the priest just to hear you and you observe you all the sin and give you peace. No. Context here is what? You confess to one another. That's why you don't just grab somebody just because they're in the church. Hey, let me confess my sin to you. No. Someone you can trust, someone who's mature, someone who can help you. Do you understand it clearly? Right? It's a foolish for you to confess your sins to a little child who does not even understand what's happening. But it has to be mutual. That's the church, my brothers and sisters. We confess our sins. Maybe someone has to come to each other and say, you know what, I just didn't like you. I, just, I didn't just like your face. Forgive me. And see what happens. Confess your sins to one another and see what happens. There will be forgiveness. There will be reconciliation. There will be a power of God happening. That's what James is talking about. Amen? Now, remember, Jesus healing the paralytic who came down from the roof. Remember Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And everybody was, what? Which one is easier? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Remember that passage? What is he talking about? Sin can be a problem of your physical sickness, physical weakness. Jesus is saying, I'm not just healing you physical body, I'm healing you as a whole. Therefore, confession of sin must be part of this. Okay? Total healing is into, not just physical, but also inner healing must be done. That's why James adds that clearly, confession of sin, when you do this kind of ministry, prayer of healing ministry. Now, thirdly, you got to be having consistency with a righteous life. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Therefore, you look to the elders to be righteous men. Therefore, if you ever have to choose an elder in your church, make sure look at their lives, not just look at their finance. Okay? A lot of churches today, we elect elders because they give a lot of money to the church. No. You look at their lives. Are they example? Look at their children. Are they in their faith? Did you know that? That was a requirement. But we kind of don't ask that anymore in the present church today. Oh, I have been seeing previously, previous years, we've been selecting elders 
whose children are in faith. And most of the time, unfortunately, problem comes with those kind of elected elders. Maybe I'm calling controversy here, but that's the reality. Look at their lives. Is, the, is, is, is their life reflecting Christ-likeness? Look at their children. Actually, look at their wives. If you're not living in righteous life by faith, your prayer is not effective. Interesting. Right? Prayer of righteous man is powerful and effective. Huh. Why? Because living a righteous life by faith is about having the right relationship with God. As you are tuned with God, knowing and discerning what He wants and His desire, your prayer will be obviously powerful and effective. You know what I mean? If you are, you and God, so close, I know His heart. I know what He wants. We are so close. We are like this. I feel His heart, and He knows me. That kind of relationship you have, oh well, your prayers will be very powerful and effective. But you don't live your righteous life. You live your own way, and you're expecting God to answer your prayer. Or you're expecting your prayer to be powerful and effective. Think again. It will not work. If your relationship, there's no relationship with God, and you just have this fake idea, the vain, vain, very, very, abstract idea of somehow God loves me, right? I can just pray and He will answer me, right? Because I come to church once in a while, right? I give money to the church, right? He's going to answer me, right? Your prayer is not powerful nor effective because you have no relationship with God. Why would Father give to stranger all the blessings? Like, this is very common sense, isn't it? That's why I hate when people say, oh, God, just, just uh, God loves you as you are. No, he doesn't. Come as you are. God will change you to be like Christ. If he loves you. Yeah, he loves you. That's why he changes you. He doesn't want you to stay where you are, sinful, doing whatever you want holding on to your own perception. No, he doesn't want that. But you come as you are, and you submit, your, submit yourself to the Lord, then God will change you. That's the idea. You'll be changed to be more like Christ. So be careful. Come as you are, great. Let the Lord change you. But don't you think that God loves you just as you are? If you are a sin, do you think God will love you? God would like what you're doing? You've got to be very clear about these things. He wants you to change you, forgive you. He wants to, because he loves you, yes. And when you submit yourself to the Lord, he starts to change your life. And that's the beauty, because he loves you in that way. Now, consistency in, with the righteous life. You pray. You're effective. Prayer is powerful. In, if you have that kind of relationship with God. Amen?
Now, let's, I want us to clarify one thing, especially here, sickness. What does it matter if anyone is sick? Call upon the elders, the righteous people, to come and pray and anoint with oil and physical assurance and pray by faith and that he will get up, he will raise up, God will raise them up. What does it mean by that? But we need to clarify who are the sick people, okay? I want us to understand here what sickness here means because I'll tell you what you think about sickness is not actually what it means here. You're thinking about cold, it's not talking about that. You're thinking about the cancer, it's not really talking about that. Let me, let me get back to you. Does it mean any touch of ill health? No. Does it mean that the, whenever you catch a cold that you can send for elders? Oh, please get, help me and get rid of this cold for me. Please, elders, please pray for me, pastor. Is that what it means? No. Okay? It does not mean any infection you have picked up or whatever. That's not what it means, sickness here. It's not just because, oh, I, I have a, this, this disease. Please help me. That's not, that's not what it means. Sick here is not actually used in Greek. I don't know why the English translation is this, but I know that many English translations use the word sick here. But the closest meaning to the Greek word actually is weak. Weak. Is anyone among you weak? Anyone among you feel hopeless? Anyone among you lay down? Let me explain. It is a very strong word, though. It's a very strong word. It, it, it means literally to be infirm or to be helpless, to, to lay low. Like you can't do anything, you just flat out. It can be because of your physical sickness. It can be something else. Whatever that means, weak to the point where you cannot do anything. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? It meant to be out of action altogether. It means disabled. You're disabled because you have a high fever, disabled because of this situation. And remember, they always brought the sick to Jesus because they were weak. Okay? Weakness, exhaustion, exhausted. There's nothing they can do. So this exhaustion may be through overwork or neglecting the law of health, maybe, because you didn't take care of your body, even sinning, even some kind of disease. Whatever the case is, it means weakness, helplessness, exhaustion, that you can't do anything, inaction, you can't do anything. Okay? By the way, it does not also mean the old age, by the way, okay? Because old age, you get kind of inactive. It's not talking about that either. That's not what I mean by here, the weak or sick in here in this passage. So let me bring, let me bring us to a perspective here. Point is this. Just because you are unwell or what we call sick, I don't think it means you should adding the burden to the elders of your spiritual family. Oh, I'm sick. I'm, I better call PJ. That's not what it means. Okay? But if you, who are normally an active Christian, normally a faithful Christian, normally who are really active in serving the Lord, have been exhausted, burnt out, okay, laid low, helpless, then I think you qualify and you can send for the elders and they will come. Do you understand? Oh, I got a cold. I got a better call. I got a COVID. I better call. 
No. You cannot treat your elders in the church or the pastors in the church as a, some kind of magician, a genie in a bottle again. No, you cannot do that. That's the context. You are to, to, the, to the point where exhaustions, helplessness, laid low, you cannot do anything. You were very active. You were very seeking the Lord and expanding the kingdom of God, serving the church, and all of a sudden something happened. It might be physical, it might be emotional, whatever. You're so weak to the point where you can't do anything. That's when you call. Right? So here, sick or weak, the word here is a very serious word. Like almost dying. Burnout. Nothing, no hope. You know, sometimes we get to that point. And some depressions can really hit people to destruction. And interestingly, he gives an example of that. Look at Elijah. Verse 17. Elijah was a man, human being, just even as you are. By the way, reason why he's bringing the Elijah, remember the, he's writing to the Jewish community, right? Elijah is someone that everybody look up to. Like, like treating him as a god. Oh, the prophet Elijah, who did not experience death, the chariots of fire took him away. Remember? That's the story, by the way. If you don't know, go back to the Bible. God took him with the chariots of fire in heaven. He did not experience death. And when Jesus was in Mount Transfiguration, there was the Moses and Elijah present with Jesus. That's, he's one of them, Elijah, great prophet. And all the Jewish people put him in a very special place. And James actually puts him in the rightful place. He said, he's just like us, human like us. Ooh, it might, he might be causing some controversial here. But he said he prayed earnestly, actually not earnestly, he prayed. Um, again, the translation here might be, can be challenged. But he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land, of, land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and then, then heaven gave rain, and then earth produced its crops. If you know the story of Elijah, you will know exactly what he's talking about. The king of Israel during the time was rebelling against God, so God told Elijah, you pray that there will be no rain. And then three and a half years, there was no rain in Israel. And afterwards, he faced this uh, 800, the 850 prophets of Baal, and, 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 and the fire came down, and then when he prayed again, and the rain came back. Go back to the story of uh, Elijah if you want, and it will be a really powerful passage for you. But we have looked at three conditions of qualification for the elders. And he says, this is an example. Okay? And the elders that are needed for the effective prayer for those who are weak and helpless, we know that that's a part of it. And you might think, I'm not an elder, so it doesn't really apply to me. Well, you might think, I will never be an elder then. Elder is a very, very noble position where you need to be mature and you don't have nothing to do with that. Well, so by way of encouraging you, James refers to Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man of prayer, but he was just a very ordinary person like you. Yes, he did the mighty wonders. God used him, but at the end of the day, he was a human being. And let me give you an example. He was a man just like us. 
Now, I know that few people think of Elijah just like us. However, listen to this. For one thing, he had no fear for 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtar, two pagan gods, and one point he was able to fight them off, right? But did you know he was afraid of one woman? Jezebel. Okay? He was not afraid of all those prophets, and he faced 800 prophets, almost 800 prophets, yet he was afraid of one woman. Surely he was a man just like us. One point he was so depressed, thinking that he was the only one left who serves, serves God. And God said, wrong. I have 7,000 people that you do not know about. So at one point, he was so depressed, focusing on himself, he actually asked God, Lord, let me just die. Yet James says, he prayed, and God answered. Meaning, Elijah, though he was a great prophet, he went through the same problems as we all faced. He went through depression, as we all did. He went through all kinds of problems and troubles, yet God used him for mighty work. Right? Therefore, be encouraged. Elijah was a man just like us, yet he could control weather for three and a half years. He was an ordinary person, yet he was the one who was serving the extraordinary God. What we need is a believing prayer. And Eli, the James is using Elijah as an example to encourage you. It doesn't have to be elder, oh, great people. No, you, you seek God. You pray, and he will answer you. But pray in the right motives. Pray without doubting. Pray by faith. And operate in faith. Then you will experience these things. He says, anyone is in trouble, you pray. Do not just tell me, oh, can you pray for my, my, my situation here? No, you need to pray first before you ask someone to pray for you. You know, a lot of times people, they don't want to spend time praying. They want other people to pray for you. <laughs> I remember one time I was asking a prayer request to my grandmother. I said, Grandma, you are the worry, prayer warrior. So I have all the prayer requests. But that time, he usually, she would usually say, oh, of course I pray for you, grandson. My favorite grandson. But this time, you know what he said? Why don't you just pray? You pray, because I'm not going to pray for you. So did you ever, he kind of challenged me. Wait a minute. Am I treating like my mother, my, my grandmother as some kind of magician, some kind of genie that I can just say whatever and I don't have to pray. He said, do you spend time praying for these things? Why don't you pray? Yeah, before you ask prayer request, pray. Don't be like lazy thief. Oh, please pray for me and now so that I can play. No, you pray, and you ask. Additionally, can you pray for me? Amen. Why? Just like Elijah, we are to seek God. Anyone is happy? Well, sing a song of praises. 
why not start doing that in your own life? Go home. If you can play instruments, play instruments. No one has to be around. Just you and God and sing to the Lord. Why not? He'll love it. You know, all those, you know, I know all the wives, they, they want their husbands to, to sing and serenade with the nice songs, right? But what about those husbands who cannot sing then with a problem, right? Maybe you could just turn on the, the, turn the music on and you can pretend you're singing, like lip singing. Maybe you can do that. Whatever that you do, right? They want that in the relationship. I'm not saying you should serenade God. No, what I'm saying is, why don't you express your heart to God through singing? Sing a song to the Lord in your deepest place. You sing a song. Lord, I love you. I want to sing a song to you. I think about David. He was, there was no audience. There's nothing. He grew up by himself, attending, tending sheep. He was a shepherd. No one around, imagine that. But he had God, so he sang. He sang to the Lord. He, God was your, his audience, and he sang many songs. And he wrote about it, and we have psalms. That's the collection of his songs. We might not have the melody and notes, but that's David's song, most of them, a lot of them. Because he loved God. So sing a song means what? We love him. Spend some time with him. Sing to him. Oh, he will love it. Is anyone weak? Ask elders to pray for you, to help you. Ask the church. It's okay to do that. Now you can't. Move, because you're so depressed. But you need to ask for it. Don't expect us to figure out. You come and you ask. Because, again, asking is, has a, this a, attitude, right? Attitude of seeking. Well, you expect God to just, God knows everything, but why does God want us to pray? Because that's an attitude of seeking God, right? right? I have a good things here. Sometimes I don't give right away to my kids unless they ask me. Why? Because it's a relationship. I want to teach them. And I don't want them to take things for granted. So what do we do? We make it harder sometimes for our children to get it. So that they will understand. Not that we don't want to give to them, but I want them to understand. It's a relationship, right? I want them to understand. To get to, to, for me to get this, I had to work hard. And I had to spend my money, but I'm more than willing to give this freely to my kid because I love them, but I want them to know how much I put my effort into this for them. So as they receive a new phone, they will know it was not just automatic blessing. What? Oh, my dad, my mom worked hard. They love me. And I can be blessed by them. Right? Apply that to God. Okay? Ask. Again, ask the elders to help you. We cannot help you unless you ask. 
So please ask. And by faith, let's practice this. I'm not saying I have a gift of healing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know, we have some kind of power here. No. Scripturally, just let's look at the Scripture and simply obey what it says. Amen. And see what happens. A lot of times we lack simplicity in faith. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Amen. Let's pray.